0: Okay, pleasant Sabbath. Isn't this a wonderful day today? It's a wonderful thing to be able to give thanksgiving to God, amen? Amen. It's a wonderful thing to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to reflect on what God has done for us as individuals and also for what He has done for the Patent Company. It's... I'm so thankful that God inspired those who started this company 11 years ago, and here we are 11 years later with a group here in Patna worshiping God, and so we can give God thanks and praise, honor, and glory today, Amen. amen, and I just want to say personally um, that I can definitely give God thanksgiving and praise today. It's been about nine and a half months since I moved to this island and nation of Trinidad. Amen. And my wife and I have been very blessed by our time here. Amen. And we, we've been working at Community Hospital, and I've definitely been blessed by that experience. And in fact, a number of people that I work with there are here today, some who are visiting. So it's good to see you here As well. So I'm thankful to the Lord for what He's done, and I think all of us can be thankful for what Jesus has done for us. Amen. Amen. We can look at God's providence in our lives. Where would we be without God's blessing? Where would we be without His providence? And you know, He has given us a privilege of having a special message and a special understanding of what Jesus is doing at this time in earth's history. Amen? Amen. God has given us a message to give to the world to prepare not only ourselves, but the world around us for Jesus to come a second time. And if there's anything that we can be thankful for today, especially... It is that God has given us a message and an understanding so that we can be ready for Jesus to come. And not only that, we can have the blessing of sharing this message with others so that others can be ready to meet Jesus as well. Amen. Amen. Today I want to look at what God's plan is for us as His people living in this time. Now, the last time I was here to speak, a couple of months ago, I shared a message about the synagogue of Satan. Today we're going to talk about God's church, and we're going to talk about how God plans to work through his church in this time, because the Bible has much to say about how God plans on working in these last days. And what I want to look at today is the book of Revelation. How many of you like studying the book of Revelation? This is one of my favorite books to study. And I want to look at Revelation chapter 5. And we're going to look at Revelation 5, 6, and 7 in a brief overview today. Now, In Testimonies for the Church, volume 9, page 267, this is what Ellen White says about Revelation 5. She says, The fifth chapter of Revelation needs to be closely studied. It is of great importance to those who shall act a part in the work of God for these last days. Do you want to act apart in the work of God for these last days? So we should study the book of Revelation, especially chapter 5, amen? Amen. What is it about Revelation chapter 5 that is of such great importance for those of us living at the end of time? If you look at Revelation 5, 6, and 7, this is... The opening of the seven seals. And in the book of Revelation, you have the seven churches, the seven seals, and the seven trumpets. But we're going to look at the seven seals today. And when you look at the seven seals, when you come down to the end of the seven seals, at the end of Revelation chapter 6, you see a group of people that when Jesus comes, they call for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. Now, do you want to be part of that group of people that call for the rocks and mountains to fall on them when Jesus comes? No way. We want to be ready when Jesus comes so that we can go to heaven with him. Amen? But there will be a group of people when Jesus comes who will be scared of his appearance, and they will call for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. But then when you come to Revelation chapter 7, you see a great multitude which no man can number giving praise to God. And that is the group of people we want to be part of. Amen? So when we study the seven seals, the purpose for studying the seven seals is to see the difference between two classes of people at the end of time. One group at the end of Revelation chapter 6, calls for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. We don't want to be part of that group. But the other group, they are the great multitude which no man can number and they say in Revelation 7 verse 10, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. These people have been saved. And that is the group of people we want to be part of. And what we will see as we look through Revelation 5 and Revelation 6, we see what it will take for us to be among that group which will stand with Christ in heaven. And we can give thanksgiving to God today that he has given us a message in scripture to be prepared to be part of that people. Amen? And so I want to take a look at Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And here John is in vision, and he says, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book? and to loose the seals thereof. So here you have a book. It has seven seals on it. And a, an angel asks, who's worthy to open it? And notice what verses 3 and 4 say. And no man in heaven, nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And notice what John's reaction is. And I wept much... "'Because no man was found worthy "'to open and to read the book, "'neither to look thereon.'" Here is John, in vision, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And as he's in vision, he sees this book of utmost importance. And as he sees it, an angel in heaven says, "'Who is worthy to open the book?' And nobody is found worthy." And John, who loved Jesus, and who was the disciple that Jesus loved, and who cared so much about spiritual things, weeps much. And the question is, do we have a regard for truth and a love for Scripture the way John did here in Revelation chapter 5? John wants to know, what is the truth contained in these seals? I want to know there is something of utmost importance that God is going to reveal through this sealed book, and yet nobody can open the book, and John weeps much. Do we care about the truths of Scripture for our time? Does it matter to us what the Bible says about the kind of people who will be ready when Jesus comes, or do we indifferently flip through the pages of Scripture when we read our Bibles? John gives us an example of how we should approach the Word of God, that it contains Crucial messages of utmost importance to prepare us to be ready for Jesus to come in the last days. And God's people who will be ready will be thankful and will study with earnestness the way John did as he saw this book that was sealed with seven seals. Now, Ellen White gives us a further clue as to what was contained in this book. This is found in manuscript releases volume 20, page 197. Of this book, she says, There in God's open hand lay the book, the role of the history of God's providences, the prophetic history of nations and the church, Herein was contained the divine utterances, his authority, his commandments, his laws, the whole symbolic council of the eternal, and the history of all ruling powers in the nations. In symbolic language was contained in that role the influence of every nation, tongue, and people from the beginning of earth's history to its close. So this book had everything from the beginning of history to the end in this book so it is of crucial importance and john is weeping because no one was found worthy to open the book i should say no man was found worthy to open and read the book but notice what verse 5 says and one of the elders said unto me weep not behold The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Who is the Lion of the tribe of Judah? That is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Root of David and He has prevailed to open the book. Why has Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah prevailed. Because scripture says, no man was found worthy to open the book, but then we see the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy. Now just for those of you who may not understand the lion of the tribe of Judah, in Genesis chapter 49, Judah was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Who was renamed Israel. And Judas was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And in Genesis 49, Judah's father calls Judah a lion's whelp. So Judah was called a lion. And when you come to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, verses 2 through 16, the lineage of Judah is spelled out, and we see that Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah. So Jesus is indeed the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is the root of David. He came from the Lion of David, King David, who was also of the tribe of Judah. Now, when we look at this concept of the lion of the tribe of Judah prevailing to open the book, I want to read what the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary says about this. First of all, this word prevail in Revelation 5, verse 5, means to conquer or to be victorious. Now, what has Jesus conquered Or what has he been victorious over? He has been victorious over sin. But who is it that caused sin? It was Satan. And notice what the Bible commentary says. It says, This victory points directly to Christ's victory in the great controversy with Satan, which is the basis of his right to open the book. Inasmuch as no one else in the entire universe could do this, his victory is unique. An angel could not have taken Christ's place, for the basic issue in the great controversy is the integrity of the character of God which is expressed in his law. Neither angel nor man could have accomplished this vindication, for they themselves are subject to the law. Only Christ who is God, and of whose character the law is an expression, could achieve such a vindication of the divine character. This fact is central to the thought of chapter 5. Now, what is this great controversy between Christ and Satan that Christ has gained the victory over? Ever since time began in heaven, Well, before time began on earth, in heaven, there has been a controversy between Christ and Satan. And in the book, Great Controversy, page 670, this is what Ellen White says of Satan. The aim of the great rebel has ever been to justify himself and to prove the divine government responsible for the rebellion. To this end, he has bent all the power of his great intellect. He has worked deliberately and systematically and with marvelous success, leading vast multitudes to accept his version of the great controversy, which has been so long in progress. But the time has now come when the rebellion is to be finally defeated and the history and character of Satan disclosed. And in Revelation chapter 5 we see that Christ defeats Satan. Amen. I am so thankful today that we can see from scripture that Christ defeat Satan. It was Satan in heaven who said, God, if we didn't have your law, we would be so much happier. God, if we didn't have your law, we could do what we wanted without having to follow what you say, and our lives would be so much better. But God said, no, my law is a law of love. It reflects my character, and it has been designed to make you happy. And Satan said, no way, I don't want this. I'm out of here. And so the conflict continued here on this earth, and Adam and Eve, our parents, chose to follow Satan's way in this great controversy. And so Jesus had to come to this earth to defeat Satan. Now, Revelation chapter 5 shows us how Christ defeated Satan. We see in verse 5 that he, as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, prevailed over Satan. Now, what do you think of when you think of a lion? You think of the animal that is the king of the animal kingdom. It is the animal that has the most power. It's the one that invokes fear on, on behalf of other animals and including humans. The lion is a symbol of strength. But yet, in the very next verse, notice what John sees. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain. Who is this lamb that had been slain? This is Jesus. Now, could there be a greater difference between two animals than there is between a lion and a lamb? How does a lamb compare to a lion? Is a lamb an animal that creates fear in our hearts? Is a lamb an animal that goes around with power and force making the other animals forced into submission the way lions work? No, No, a lamb is entirely different than a lion. And furthermore, we see this lamb had been slain. And it is in verse 9 where we see They sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Jesus has redeemed us with his blood it doesn't matter what nation you are from what kindred you are from what tribe you are from what family you were born in if you accept jesus he has redeemed you with his blood and with his blood he has prevailed to open the book with seven seals because he has won the victory over Satan in the great controversy. And we can give thanks to God today that God has prevailed through the lamb. Now, what we see when we see the lion and the lamb in Revelation chapter 5 is that Christ embodies the characteristics of both the lion and the lamb. Christ is the Lion because He is all-powerful. But He is the Lamb because He demonstrated on this earth what it means to be meek, humble, and to follow the will of His Father who sent Him. So much so that He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And it was through His life as a lamb that through power and strength is seen. Amen. And I want to point you to a passage in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, which gives further understanding to Christ as the lamb. Isaiah 53, verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Do you know Jesus is giving us an example to follow here? You know, 1 Peter chapter 2 says that Christ has left us an example that we should follow his steps. Let me read that passage to you. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting... In verse 21, For even here unto you were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were heal, healed. For we as sheep going astray, but now we are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Jesus gives us an example to follow, specifically as the Lamb. You know, so many times we think that the way to fight back when we are being oppressed is to fight back like a lion, because the lion is the one that has power. Now Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But he's also the lamb of God who was slain and as he was led to the cross, he opened not his mouth. And he is showing that if you really want to fight with power like a true lion, like God, you fight back like a lamb. Because so many of us, when we are being oppressed, when we are being afflicted, we fight back like an earthly lion. We speak back with harsh tones, with frustration and anger, and we lose our tempers, and we think, it's okay. They were wrong to us, so I'll be wrong back to them. But Jesus gives us an example that when we are being mistreated, that we are to be like lambs, opening not our mouths, but committing our cases to God. And it is in that way that we demonstrate the strength and power of God in our lives. Jesus is. Prevailed to open the seven seals because he was the lamb that was slain. He did not fight back when he was being spat upon. He did not fight back when the nails were being put through his hands and feet. He did not fight back when he was being mocked on the cross. When the scribes and Pharisees said, come down from the cross and we will believe in you. He demonstrated what it means to be a Christian. He demonstrated that we, when we are following Christ, we will not fight back and we will not open our mouths unless it is to say to bless those who curse us. And this is how Christ prevailed to open the seven seals. And when we see the seals fully opened in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 14, we see a magnificent scene beginning in verse 9. It says, They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And they continue in verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them heard I, saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Do you know when this takes place in heaven? Ellen White shows us that verses 9 through 14 take place in heaven when all of the redeemed are there with all of the angels. And verse 11 shows us that there are 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. That's a lot of people. That's 100 times more than the nation of Trinidad alone. And LMY In Great Controversy, page 545 says, John in the Revelation, looking forward to the eternal state, hears a universal anthem of praise undisturbed by one note of discord. Every creature in heaven and earth was heard ascribing glory to God. So the question is, how do we get from the opening of the seals to the state of eternity in heaven where we all want to be someday, amen? How do we get there? If you look at this book, it has seven seals that must be removed. And Revelation chapter 6 shows one seal being removed after another, taking us down through the history of time. And this book with seven seals will not be fully unsealed until the seventh seal is removed. Does that make sense? If you have a scroll and there are seven seals on it keeping it from being opened, you open one seal, but you still have six seals on it keeping it mostly closed. Now, you can read the part that when you remove the first seal, you can read the part where the first seal was removed so you can see this much information. And then you remove the second seal and you can see a little more information. And on and on until finally, when the seventh seal is removed, the whole book will be read and able to be seen. So let me just take in a brief overview The opening of the seals. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the first seal is opened and we see a horse, a white horse, and the one who sat on the horse had a crown and he was conquering. This represented the first century Christian church which took the gospel to the world in its generation and conquered the first century Christian church. That's the first seal. Then you see the second seal in Revelation 6, verses 3 and 4, and you see a red horse, which is the the persecuted church, which goes from the first century till about 313 AD. Pagan Rome persecuted the Christian church. Then, in verses 5 and 6, we see the third horse, which is a black horse, which represents the time when the Christian church went from being a pure church, a white church, to a black church, or a church that went into apostasy. And then the fourth her, fourth seal, you see a pale horse in Revelation 6 and 7. This represents the time when the Christian church went down even further into apostasy. And finally, in the fifth seal, in verses 9 through 11 of Revelation 6, those who were persecuted, their souls figuratively cry from under the altar, How long, O Lord, till you judge and avenge our blood? And then we come to the opening of the sixth seal in Revelation chapter 6. And this is where things start to become very interesting for the time in which we live. Do you know the history of the sixth seal? This is the area that we should be studying and understanding for the time in which we live. Notice Revelation chapter 6 verse 12, and I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Do you know what the great earthquake is that is being talked about in Revelation chapter 6? This was the Great Lisbon Earthquake of November 1, 1755. Now that may seem like a long time ago now, about 255 years ago now, but you know in the scope of history, the first seal began in, before 100 A.D., which was about 2,000 years ago. So we're getting a lot closer to the time that we live in now, when the sixth seal begins. And then, as we continue in the sixth seal, and by the way, that Lisbon earthquake was so powerful, it was felt throughout Europe. It created a tidal wave that came in and destroyed the city of Lisbon that had not already been wiped out by the earthquake, and then fires raged in the city for days afterward. It's one of the worst earthquakes the world has ever seen. And then, after that, in verse 12, it says, the sun became black, as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Do you know what that is? That's the dark day of May 19, 1780, merely 25 years after the Lisbon earthquake. So now we're getting a little bit closer to 2010. This is in the past, of course. And it was on that day that around 10 o'clock in the morning, the sun started becoming dark. And people who were working on their farms noticed that the cows were coming in, the roosters were coming in, and they were like, what's going on? We've only been out here a few hours. Why are the animals coming in like it's already dark? And by noon, when they looked up in the sky, the moon looked like it was blood. And it's well documented in history. And it was a very scary day for the people who lived through that. But God was sending a message to the people of that time. Look up. I am about to come to this earth after nearly 2,000 years after the cross. It is about time for me to come back the second time. And then in verse 13, as the sixth seal continues, it says, the stars of heaven fell under the earth. This was the great falling of the stars on November 13, 1833, merely 53 years after the dark day. And there were some people alive that day who had seen the dark day of May 19, 1780. Now the question is, what's the next thing that happens in Revelation chapter 6 in verse 14. It says, The heaven... Departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free men, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? Now why would you be afraid of a lamb? The lamb is probably one of the animals to be least afraid of. But as we talked about here, we see that a certain class of people at the end of time will be crying for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them because they would rather have the rocks and the mountains fall on them than than to see the face of Jesus. And so as we study this, we want to make sure that we are part of the group of people that are ready when Jesus comes. And here is where we are in earth's history. Revelation 6.13 shows the falling of the stars in 1833. And in the history of the seals, the very next thing that happens is the coming of Christ. That means, my brothers and sisters, we are living on borrowed time. It was 53 years from the dark days to the falling of the stars. Do you know how how many years it's been from the falling of the stars to 2010? It's been a long time. A long time. But yet in the scope of history compared to 2,000 years, it's a very short time. And the question is, because this is still in the sixth seal, We are waiting for all seven seals to be fully unsealed so that Christ will have fully prevailed over Satan in the great controversy. Do you realize that Jesus dying on the cross was part of his victory in the great controversy, but do you realize that that was not the complete victory? Notice what Ellen White says in Patriarchs and Prophets. Pages 68 and 69. She says, The plan of redemption had a yet broader and deeper purpose than the salvation of man. Did you know that? It was not for this alone that Christ came to the earth. It was not merely that the the inhabitants of this little world might regard the law of God as it should be regarded. And I'm glad that God came to this earth. Amen? Amen? But notice... Not only was it for that, but notice what it was for, but it was to vindicate the character of God before the universe. Christ came to this earth to provide salvation for man, but he not only came to the earth to provide salvation for man, he came to this earth to vindicate his character, his law before the universe. To this result of his great sacrifice, its influence upon the intelligences of other worlds as well as upon man, the Savior looked forward when Jesus Just before his crucifixion, he said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. The act of Christ in dying for the salvation of man would not not only make heaven accessible to men, but before all the universe, it would justify or vindicate God and his son in their dealing with the rebellion of Satan. From the first, the great controversy had been upon the law of God, Satan had sought to prove that God was unjust, that his law was faulty, and that the good of the universe required it to be changed. In attacking the law, he aimed to overthrow the authority of its author. In the controversy, it was to be shown whether the divine statutes were defective and subject to change or perfect and immutable. So here is what's happening in the great controversy. Satan says, God, your law cannot be kept. And God is saying, yes, it can. And God demonstrated that his law could be kept when he sent Jesus to this earth in the nature of man after it had been affected by 4,000 years of sin. And Jesus lived on this earth a perfect, sinless life. And on the cross, as he was hanging on the cross, the universe saw that, yes, God's law can be kept. And they saw that God was full of love. They saw the character of God's love on the cross. And they saw the hatred of Satan's character as he was the one that inspired Christ to be put to death. But you realize that the controversy did not end at the cross. If it did, why are we here 2,000 years later? Why didn't Jesus just wrap things up? He died on the cross, and then he would say, all those who have ever accepted me, come home to heaven, let's go home. No more sin and suffering on this world. But here we are, 2,000 years later, after the cross, and some may well say, God, what are you doing? Why have you allowed all this sin and suffering to go on for 2,000 years? And I can attest to you in my work as a physician, seeing people who are suffering from the result of this sin-sick world. People with brain tumors, people with strokes, people with back pain, people with headaches, people who don't get better, no matter what you do. And people wonder, God, what are you doing to me? Why am I still here? Why are we still here after 2,000 years? You defeated Satan on the cross. Why do we still have to be here in this sorry world of sin? Why can't you come back to take us home? And the answer to that question is found, again, in the seven seals. We go to Revelation chapter 7 because we see the one class of people crying for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. But in Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, we read, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 140 and 4,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Notice this. We come to the end of Revelation chapter 6, and there is this pause. We see the falling of the stars in 1833 and then we see that Jesus is going to come in the clouds of heaven and the wicked will cry for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. But before that takes place, God must seal his people in their foreheads. And he is telling the angels, hold the winds of strife which will bring destruction to the earth as the second coming draws nigh. Hold those winds until I have a group of people that are ready for me to come in the clouds of heaven. I will not come until my people are ready. And so the angels are holding the winds until the servant of God are sealed in their foreheads and so we are still between the sixth and the seventh seals. And you come to the seventh seal in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, and it says, when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And that speaks of the second coming of Christ. Half an hour prophetically is about seven days. And that is the time that it will take Christ to come from heaven to earth and take us back. And so here we are between the sixth and the seventh seals, between the falling of the stars in 1833, and the coming of Christ in the clouds of heaven. But before that takes place, Christ must have a group of people that are sealed in their foreheads. Do you know what that means? That means that the great controversy is not finished until God has his people who are sealed in their foreheads. Because do you know what it means to be sealed in your forehead? In Revelation chapter 14, speaking of the same thing, we see of the 144,000, chapter 14, verse 1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb, that Lamb that had been slain who was worthy to open the seals, we see the Lamb and He stood on the Mount Zion and with Him 144,000 having His Father's name written in their foreheads. The 144,000 who are sealed in their foreheads have the Lamb's Father's name written in their foreheads. The name of the Father, His character, written in their foreheads. And you know the controversy oh it between Christ and Satan is over the law of God and the law of God is a transcript of God's character and here you have a group of people who have God's law his character written in their foreheads God has raised up a people in the last days to point to his law again, the law that points to all his commandments including the fourth commandment the seventh day Sabbath and they will be a group of people who reflect God's character in their foreheads, and they will stand with the Lamb on Mount Zion. And in verse 4, it says, these are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And notice verse 5, and in their mouth was found no guile the same as Jesus in 1 Peter 2, for they are without fault before the throne of God. How did the 144,000 get to the point that they could be sealed in their foreheads and stand on Mount Zion with the Lamb? Well, you know, in John chapter 129, what did John the Baptist say? What did he say to those when Jesus came into his midst? He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Do you know what our problem is today? We're not beholding the Lamb of God, the Lamb who was slain, the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world for our sins. We don't see him on the cross dying for our sins so that as we see him on the cross, we will say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I invite the Lamb into my life. When we see the Lamb on the cross, we will learn to follow him wherever he takes us here on this earth. Because I can tell you, God's people who get to heaven, they are described as following the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. How would you like to follow Jesus wherever he goes in heaven? But you know, if we're not following Jesus here on this earth, should we expect to follow him when we we get to heaven? We would not want to follow wherever He goes because when He asks us to follow Him here, our tendency is to say, no, thank you, Lord, I'll do it my way. But God is looking for a group of people who will learn to follow Him wherever He goes. When he has his group of people who are sealed in their foreheads, then the time will come when the seventh seal is opened and then Revelation 5 will reach its final fulfillment where it can be said, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb that was slain has prevailed to open the book because his character has been vindicated before the universe. God vindicated himself through His Son when He died on the cross. But He also vindicates Himself through His last day people who will follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Christ has prevailed on the cross. He will also prevail through His 144,000. And when He does so, the great controversy will be over. I want that great controversy to come to an end. Amen? This world of sin and suffering has gone on for too long, don't you think? I want to see Jesus come in the clouds of heaven. And as I look at this world around us, the more we see the signs around us, we can see the signs fast fulfilling of a soon coming Savior. And we want to be among the group that stand with the Lamb on Mount Zion when we see the Lamb coming in the clouds, we do not want to see Him as someone who has great wrath, someone that we would be afraid of, someone that we will say, oh no, please, rocks and mountains, fall on me because I don't want to see Him. No, when we, will, when we see the Lamb coming in the clouds of heaven, we will say, this is our God. He has saved us and we will be with Him forever and ever. That is the group of people that we want to be among. We will see Jesus as our Savior, as our Redeemer, as our Lord. And when He comes, He will be coming as the Lamb who was slain, who has redeemed us, and we will get to be with Him throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. There may be some of you here today who realize that Your experience with God is not what you want it to be. You want to be among the number who will be in heaven, who follow the Lamb of God wherever He goes. But right now you feel like you're wandering far away from Him. You're like that sheep in the parable that has wandered away from the fold. And God is calling you back today on this day of thanksgiving, as we think of all the things that God has done for us, how he sent his son to die for us so that we could receive salvation, how he he has given us a message in the last days to be among a group of people who will follow the lamb whithersoever he goes. You are saying, Lord, I've wandered away from you, but I want to come back. I want to come into your fold. I want to be a child of God who follows you. And God is calling you today to come home, to follow Him. If you are someone who would like to come back to the Lord today, to give your life fully to the Lord, to be a child of God, to be a lamb in the sheepfold of the Lord, to be ready when he comes in the clouds of heaven. I invite you at this time to come forward and we will have special prayer for you. I invite you, if you would like to come back to the Lord, you want to be among the people who are ready to see Jesus when he comes in the clouds of heaven. I'm giving you that opportunity. The Lord is calling you today. It's not me, it's the Lord. He is calling you to come back home to be among his sheep that will follow him. There may be just one here today that wants to be among the the sheepfold of God in those last days, and you hear God's voice calling you. Amen. God is raising up a people who will be ready to meet him in the clouds of heaven. Jesus has been waiting a long time. Do you realize that He's waiting for us? We're not really waiting for Him. He's waiting for us. He wants to have a group of people sealed in their foreheads. And some of you here today may may say, but I've been a Seventh-day Adventist my whole life. But you realize that you're not ready to receive the seal of the living God. And God says today, I want to seal you with the Father's name in your forehead. He wants you to be among that number. And He's inviting you to give your life fully and completely to Him today so that you will be among that number. It's not enough to come to church every week. It's not enough to go through the motions. God is looking for a group of people who will surrender their lives completely, 100%. If you want to be among that number, I invite you to come forward at this time to give your life 100% to the Lord, to receive that seal in your foreheads. God is doing a work at this time. He is raising up a message, and He's raising up a people to prepare us to stand with the Lamb on Mount Zion at the end of time. And now is the time. And I'm so thankful to see so many of you here coming forward today. And as you come forward at this time, I just ask you as we have prayer, let the Holy Spirit convict your heart and mind of the things in your life that may be preventing you from following God completely, 100%. And as we pray, I invite you to surrender those things on the altar to the Lord so that you can have a life full of power that will reflect God's power and love to this world. And So let's bow our heads at this time. Father in heaven, thank you so much for sending us Jesus the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb that was slain, who has prevailed over Satan, and who wants to prevail over Satan through us in the last days of earth's history. Lord, help us to not be people who take God's name, but bring dishonor to God's name through the way we live our lives. May we be the type of people who are Christians and who live as Christians, as Christ, here on this earth. Lord, there's some of us here today who have things in our lives that we know are holding us back from being completely the type of Christian you would have us to be. Help us right now to surrender that to you so that we can walk forward in faith from this time forward living the life of Christ on this earth. Help us to follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth, so that when we get to heaven, we'll be used to doing so already. Lord, thank you for all that you've done for us. Our hearts are full of thanksgiving as we see what you have done for us on the cross, what you you are doing for us in heaven now, and what your plan is for us in this time of earth's history. Thank you so much for loving us, for dying for us, and for giving us the opportunity to receive salvation just before you come in the clouds of heaven. Forgive us for our sins and help us to live lives of power and strength in this time of earth's history. And we claim this power on behalf of each person here. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.